speak in the microphone because this is recorded and um, we get people from all over the place that listen to the podcast and so we want to make sure that the question is on there or your answer is on there. So um, if you got your Bible, go ahead and go to Luke the 16th chapter, Luke 16 verse number 13, Luke 16 verse number 13 um, and I want you to just put that on pause just for a minute. Um, and I want to ask you a question, and you think about this while you're looking for Luke 16 and 13. Um, question, and this is, I want to pick up off of what we talked about on, on uh, uh, Sunday, and I want to kind of push this point a little bit further, all right? Uh, my question is, what's your best, what is your best tip for being content? What is your best uh, tip? for being content? What's your best tip for being content? If you were to say, uh, here is how I remain content in my life, what would that be? All right, so anybody, you grab a microphone, let me know your answer. Y'all ain't got nothing, ain't nobody content? Praise the Lord. Okay, what is your best tip for being content? All right, go ahead. Thinking about from where I came from to where I'm at now, um, I'm living better, driving better, eating better, so why complain, you know? So I'm happy and content that God has brought me to a place to where I'm living better. Of course, you always want more, but at the end of the day, it could be a whole lot worse. Okay. Anybody else? What's your best tip for being content in life? So ain't nobody content. Thank you. is um, I oftentimes just look at people who are less fortunate. So um, instead of just riding down the street, I may see someone that's homeless. And sometimes you don't think about it, but then a lot of times I really just think that could be me. I'm one paycheck away from with a sign. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, even thinking about other countries. Mm -hmm. We live in a crazy but fortunate country. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Here's the next question. Anybody can answer this. What are some areas where it is easy to think, when I have more, I will do better? <laughs> All right, go ahead, Montrese. Um, I'm gonna give the obvious answer okay. and say finances. So you say if you had more money, you would do better how? Um, a few ways. <laughs> <laughs> So, but I'm like, well, I also know what I'm supposed to pay in tithes. So I'm like, this not really gonna work out for me right now. So, but I'm like, well, if I go and get this extra little job, I might be a little tired, but I think I can pull it out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's just of talking about my mom, like if I just had just a little bit more. But I mean, I guess that come back to being content because even when you read it, I be like, listen, I'm still a little short. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, all right. You, if you, when I have more, I will do better. What area? Uh, mine kind of goes in, <laughs> goes with that. Mm -hmm. um, education, because if I have edu more education, I can make the money that I have. Okay, 
Um, who in here has a bachelor's degree? Anybody has a master's degree? You have a master's degree? Okay. Um, with your master's degree, um, are you making the money? Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. So the answer is no. Okay. <coughs> microphone, because I'm going to get all these emails to my pastor. Please make sure that he's talking to microphone. I guess you assume that you would make more, because when you look at the job description, and it says requirements, and it has a degree, and then it says starting pay, yeah. you know, you assume, like, so your thinking is, if I had more education, then I could get a better job, and then with a better job, I could make more money? Yes. Okay. All right. Gotcha. 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 I want to go back to, real quick, and I have some more questions. I'm not done. Something I said on Sunday that I think is so true, that sometimes the more money you make, the greater your imagination becomes. Right? So the reality is that where we are financially, or where we live financially, and what what we do financially has a lot to do with our imaginations of what we think we should be living, right? Um, when you, when um, I remember I used to work at, um, I, I don't, uh, I don't forgot what it's called. <laughs> you know, just take it out of my mind. Um, I remember when I worked at the hotel that's right behind um, Red Lobster on Bay Meadows. Sun Suites Inn, it used to be called. I don't know what it's called now. Okay, y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay, over there by where Zamar Center used to be? Okay. Um, when I worked there, I remember um, that I used to just pray, you know, God, if you gave me enough to pay for my 1996 Chevy Cavalier, two-door green, um, that I'd be all right. And I remember that the payment at that time was maybe like, a hundred and something dollars a month. And I remember, but here's the thing. The more money I made, the greater my imagination became. Because now I can't see myself in a two-door Chevy Cavalier 1996. Isn't that amazing? That your mind stretches with the more money you make, right? So you know, there used to be a time that you were grateful that you were just out your mama house and living in a dorm room. You was grateful. But now you need hardwood floors. You need a backsplash, you know. <laughs> you need uh, uh, stainless steel appliances. You need quartz countertops. Because the greater money you make, the greater your, your imagination becomes. Luke 16, verse 13, let's look at this real quick. Um, no one can serve two masters, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Here's my question for you. Somebody hit the microphone. Why is that true? Microphone. That's spirit of rebellion. I'm gonna talk about it tonight. Go ahead. Um, because money keeps you created. So what happens when you lose all your money? Okay. Can you lose God? Well, like, you know, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> you can lose your way. You go, okay. But I like he's that. Always there. So okay. with money, I mean, you can have it one day and not have it the next. 
So if you serve God, serving God um, not only benefits uh, others, but it benefits yourself. Um, serving God is one of the most selfless things that you can do, and God shows that through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. Um, but when you serve for money, um, money makes you compromise your integrity. Money makes you compromise all of the things that's, I hate to say, anti-God. Um, you become greedy, and you have to do things to get more and more of it. It's something that's like very insatiable because you feel like you got it, but then you feel like you need more. But with God, you'll always be satisfied. Okay, okay, all right. Um, on Sunday, I said this, and this was the major point that I was getting to, and I hope you saw it at the end of the message. The reward for managing well is more responsibility with less stress. Okay, you remember that? All right. How does that work? How is it that you get more responsibility with less stress? Microphone. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Microphone. I'm serious. I really do get a lot of emails from people who do not go to this church, who are in other states, other cities, and they send me messages. And whenever we have one of these question answer things, they always say, Pastor, can you please make sure that they talk in the microphone because I can't understand what y'all talking about. All right? Could you go ahead. Um, <laughs> the reward for managing well is more responsibility with less stress. How does that work? Well, I mean, if, if someone is trusting you because you're responsible, then to whom much is given, much, much is required. So I think that the more you get experienced with handling all those responsibilities, the better you do them and the better you can so that brings on less stress or more stress? The more organized I am and the more of a routine that I have, the less stressed I am. It's when I'm overwhelmed, I'm not planned, I haven't prepared, and I don't know what I'm doing that I become overwhelmed and frustrated. Okay. So if, um, if come on, Beverly. If, uh, let me get Beverly first before I ask this question. So how does that work? That's where I'm going, right where you just left off at. Because I think, let me, let me put it like, um, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you like this. Um, this uh, there was a season in my life in this church where the church was growing, things were coming together. And when the church started growing and things were coming together, I got overwhelmed with it. And all of a sudden, I wanted to back up from it. 
And a lot of times when you become overwhelmed with the responsibilities that God has given you, nine times out of 10, let's just be real, real talk, you will try to self-sabotage the season you are in. Because the next level scares you. And God is saying, if you could just manage the level that you're on and you can do it with joy, and you not look at it as a burden, and you not look at it as how awful it is, then God says, I can graduate you to the next level. What I am praying for you and for me in this season is I'm praying against the spirit of self-sabotage. Because when God gives you, and that's what I'm talking about tonight, an open heaven, you have to make sure that you don't sabotage what he starts pouring out on you, okay? Let's, let's be real and transparent. We have all had seasons where we became overwhelmed because reality is we got scared. We got scared of the next level. We got scared of what more money looks like. That's why when income tax time come around, you will see that's the best time for people to get ahead. And you will see a lot of times people take that time to self-sabotage to get back to broke because broke is normal. So let me do all I got to do to be broke. We even do it in relationships. I was going to put this post on social media, and I'm still trying to formulate the words, so let me work this out real quick. I was going to say this. That it's not that people don't love you. It's just you make it real hard to love you. Because all you know is rejection and hurt that when someone comes to you that is not inside of those parameters, you reject and you push it away. So then you create these scenarios where they got to jump through the hoops to prove themselves to you and you're still not they still don't never prove it to you. Because the only thing that you know is, I know hurt, I know rejection, I know games, I know foolishness, and that's, you know, <laughs> Paul I know, <laughs> but who is you, you know? And so I think that we have to learn in a season of open heaven not to lock ourselves out of what God is releasing on our lives because we, the next level is always scary. So the Lord said this to me. He said, Philip, if you can't handle, you know, however many members we have, I think it's 200 or something like that. If you can't, I know, right, we're there. Uh, if you can't handle... <laughs> Do it with joy, Lord. Do it with joy. Um, if you can't handle 200 members, how in the world will you able be, be able to handle 2,000? More money, more problems. More people, more problems. More responsibilities, more problems. And if you don't know how to manage it, and if you don't keep God at the center of that, making sure that he keeps you focused on what he's called you to in that next level, then you will self-sabotage the moment and you will try to stop it because you're scared of what it looks like, okay? And so what I wanna give you on tonight, I wanna give you nine keys to an open heaven, nine keys to an open heaven, because I need you to see this from a, a, um, a different perspective. Now, I talked about a lot of, I talk, this whole series is about money and finances. I'm just gonna be very transparent, but I need you to see how money and, and finances work in the kingdom of God for you to understand how it's supposed, how God is going to shower down his blessings on you. And when I say blessings, I don't want you to equate everything to money because you could be blessed in so many areas. Some of you don't need money, you need rest. Money's not your issue. Some of you, you know, and can I be honest with you? So being that we're nine years old, 
and I've been with y'all, some of y'all for a very long time. I met y'all when you ain't have nothing. <laughs> okay, let me say that. When we didn't have nothing, not y'all, we didn't have nothing, right? But I realized seasons have changed. You, you know, in nine years, people done had children. They done had grandchildren. They done, you know, all kind of stuff has happened. You, you're not on a job anymore. Some of you are in careers now. You're not in school anymore. You done graduated. So because the, 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 the life cycle of the church has changed, I have to change with what I preach and what I teach. I can't talk about being broke because everybody ain't had broke no more. There's some people that say, I'm beyond broke now. I just, I'm on management. There's some people that's beyond management, now they're on excelling. And so I have to make sure that I give you a, a, a solid round word when it comes to what God wants to do and where he's taking you. And so I want to give you nine keys to an open heaven. Go to Luke the sixth chapter, verse number 38. Luke the sixth chapter, verse number 38. So go back to Luke the sixth chapter, verse number 38. Luke 6, 38. If you have it, say amen. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. One of the key essential ingredients to an open heaven is learning how to be a giver. Everybody say giver. Because you cannot talk about an open heaven, and you can't talk about prospering, and you not be a giver. You can't even talk about money management and prosperity if you don't learn how to give. God is not going to bless you to be stingy. God is not going to bless you for you to just hoard all the blessings. But the foundational principle in giving in, and, and in life is that you can't expect a harvest if you have not planted any seed. Now, Sunday I'm going to be talking about sowing, so I'm going to kind of be going in and out of that lane for a little, for a little bit. But what I've discovered is this culture wants an investment, wants a harvest with minimal investment. Let me say that again. We want a harvest with minimal investment. We want millions of dollars with a $1 lotto ticket. <laughs> we want a harvest with minimal investment. We want a great marriage, but we don't want no fights. We want a degree, but we don't want to study. We want, watch this, <laughs> we want a great church, but we ain't going to come, nor are we going to give. We want a harvest with minimal investment. And here's a foundational principle. You cannot reap where you have not sown. Can I, let me put this in relationship stand, uh, uh, setting just for a minute. It's amazing. Have you ever noticed how people require so much from you without investing anything in you? You want my time. You want my attention. You want my resources. You want a whole lot. But can I get a return text message? Okay, let me keep going because I feel like I'm meddling right now. The reality is you must be a giver. Everybody say a giver. If you are holding your hand tight, it is difficult for God to put money into your hands if you don't open your hands. 
here's a very, uh, uh, the Lord said this to me, open heavens require open hands. An open heaven requires an open hand. Okay? On Sunday, the Lord said this. Um, I, was, I was really, um, first of all, Sunday, was Sunday not a blessing? I mean, Sunday was just crazy. We had no benediction. Y'all realize that, right? I mean, there was like no closing. It was just like, y'all knew it was over. Just go home. <laughs> it was over. Go home. So um, the Lord blessed us tremendously. And while I was ministering, and I'm going to deal with this over the next couple of weeks, is that some of you, and I need you to hear this because some of you are here tonight. Some of you, the Lord made you, uh, gave you the gift of giving, and you've stopped. And I'm not talking about, hear me, because I'm not talking about the tithe. I, I, you tithe. You're a tither, but you stop blessing other people. Because now you have gotten jaded by how people have been acting. See, you've blessed some people, and they've been so ungrateful that when God tried to tell you to go bless that one, you're like, mm-mm. Because you done burnt me once. You know, it is really hard. <laughs> it's really hard to keep blessing when you have blessed some people who you know owe you something, yet they still, you know, new hair, new outfits. And God is trying to get us to a point where you have an open hand so that you have an open heaven, that you can bless people without the responsibility of a response from them. Because there's some of us that God has given you the gift of giving and you have stopped and you are blocking your open heaven because God is saying you got to release so that I can release. Okay, look at your neighbor and say you got to release so God can release. All right, so what's the first step to an open heaven? Number one, write this down, give yourself to the Lord. Give yourself to the Lord. Give yourself to the Lord. Oh, it's on the screen. Did you look it up? Look for uh, midweek, September. You see it? Hallelujah. Give yourself to the Lord. Here's number one. If you have, haven't given yourself to God, you're not going to be able to give your money to God. I don't believe you can have a relation with God and say that he's in your life and that the Holy Ghost came and touched you and he changed your heart and look at my hands. My hands look new. Look at my feet and my feet do too. And I done, he done turned me around and the Lord done did this for me and he renewed my thinking and somehow he slid all the way around your wallet. How sway? Look at your neighbor and say, it don't work like that. Did you find it? You found it? Yeah. Uh, go to my first point because I'm coming up after something after that. Uh, give yourself to God. When you have an encounter with God, he won't have to beg you about your giving. Mm-hmm. If you are not a giver, you, you've got to, if you are not a giver, you've got to invest whether you really, uh, you, you have to investigate whether you really had an experience with God. Because when God touches you, he will transform and change you, and your money comes along. Uh, Martin Luther, uh, the great reformer, not Martin Luther King, he, he said this right after that. Yeah, come on with me. The next one. The next one. After that one. Is it on there? It's slow. 
Uh-uh, go back. Did I not put the quote on there? You don't see the quote? Go back. Hallelujah. Thank you. Y'all give it up for the sound ministry. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Martin Luther said this, people go through three conversions, the conversion of their heart, I mean the conversion of their head, the, their heart, and their pocketbook. pocketbook. Unfortunately, not all at the same time. Because we get good and saved. We love the Lord. We will speak in tongues and then give God $2. I mean, we will tear the church up. Not here. At one of my former churches. I'm not going to tell you which one. I, you know, I had a preacher tell me one time. He said, Philip, you know, when you go preach, you know, the folks shout, they, they dance, they fall out. He said, but I wanted to let you know them people shouting and falling out, them the ones that don't give nothing. He said, look at the ones that kind of sit there and look at you and nod their head. He said, now them the givers. <laughs> and unfortunately, I have to agree with him. Because sometimes the people with the greatest praise give the, less, the least amount of money. Because somehow they think that that's going to make up for the Holy Ghost moving right past their pocketbook. And God is saying you got to have three conversions. Your head, your heart, and your pocketbook. Go to 2 Corinthians the 8th chapter, verse number 1 through 5. 2 Corinthians the 8th chapter, verse number 1 through 5. 2 Corinthians the 8th chapter, verse number 1 through 5. You got to give yourself to the Lord. 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, verse number 1 through 5. If you have a say, amen. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Verse number 2, 2 Corinthians, 8th chapter. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in, watch this, in rich generosity. Let me read that one more time because I need you to see that, that whole text. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Verse number three, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the, to the Lord's people. Verse number five, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. Let me show you this. These people were going through a tough time in their lives, they, they, but they gave liberally or rich generosity and in verse 3, it says that they gave not just according to their ability, but beyond their ability. Giving beyond what they could afford to give. But Paul says that they were able to do this. Why? Because they had first given themselves to God first. You, if you're going to be a giver, you have to make sure you give yourself to God first. I like verse number 1 because it says that the grace that God has given the Macedonian church. People talk about grace not realizing that there are different kinds of graces, okay? We, we want to lump grace into one, but there's many different kinds of graces. 
and and we'll talk about this a little later, but in 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, it says that God will give you the grace when you learn how to be a gracious giver. In other words, when you learn how to be a gracious giver, God says, I'll add more grace to your accounts. That there's some grace that only comes because you're a gracious giver. Okay, let me put it like this. There's some of you that can testify that sometimes I live a little raggedy. But because I give to God and because God keeps supplying, watch this, and when I give to God, he keeps supplying my needs and give me stuff I don't even deserve. Okay, I know that ain't everybody's testimony because some of y'all are so holy and you'll never do nothing wrong. But there's some of us that know we done messed up. We done did some stuff. And the only reason why God is still covering me is because I've decided that I'm going to give to God no matter what. The scripture teaches us that God can smear you with grace when you learn to be a gracious giver. That's why this church that Paul is talking about right here in Corinthians, in Macedonia, God bestowed his grace on them. They gave themselves first to God. They first made an entire consecration of themselves and all that they had to the Lord. They kept nothing back. They felt that they had what they had was his. And where a people honestly devote themselves to God, they will find no difficulty in having the means to give. They don't come up with excuses because they realize, like I preached on Sunday, that God is my source. My job is my resource, but God is my source. He is the one that supplies all my needs. He's the one that takes care of me from, I mean, from point A to point B to point C to point D to point Z. He's the one that supplies everything that I need. And the good thing about it is, even if I lose this job, I'm still going to eat every day. Because I serve a God that will take care of me no matter what. Because what? He's my source. You have to give yourself to God first. Here's number two. Write this down. Give the first fruit to God. Give the first fruit to God. The first fruit means honoring God by giving the first off the top. Not after you done paid everybody else. God should get his. Everybody say first. Proverbs the third chapter, verse number nine. Proverbs three, verse number nine. Proverbs 3, verse number 9. Man, it's a digital church because ain't no pages turning. Praise the Lord. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. <clears throat> Proverbs 3, verse number 9. Y'all there? Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruit of all your increase. Watch this. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruit of all your increase, okay? Now, don't get tripped on that word increase because increase means every time you get something more than what you got. So every other Friday or however you get paid, that's increase because you didn't have that. You didn't have that. I know what your offer letter said, but you didn't have it until it was in that account. And when it hit that account, that's, a, it, that's increase, all right? But he says, honor the Lord, watch this, with all your possessions and with the first fruit of all your increase. So it's not just that you give, but it's, it is the order of your payments. When you give to God, you give to him first. Everybody say first. first. God don't want the bottom of the barrel. He don't want to be the last thing. He wants you to honor and reverence him by putting him at the top of the line to make him, as Beverly said, the priority. Before I pay any other bill, before I do anything else with my money, I give God my tithes and my offerings. In my, in my former church, 
uh, we had a guy in our church for years that would pay his tithes at the end of the year. He would wait the whole year and then he'd pay his tithes at the end of the year. And it, it, he kept the tithe all year long. And in December, he wrote one big check to the church. And he, he would brag about it. Um, and he thought, you know, that we should be happy because of the amount of the check was so big that you should be happy. Now, right in the church, there's one big check. But why wouldn't we be happy about that? Because that's not the model for the church. Question, what if the whole church kept their tie to the end of the year? <laughs> the whole, question, question, and I'm going to talk about this on Sunday. Um, are you even responsible enough to keep your tithe until the end of the year and write one big check? Hallelujah. So the first fruit, the tithe, is off the top. Your, your mortgage company ain't going to wait till the end of the year. You wait till the end of the year and see what happens. <laughs> J.A. ain't going to wait till the end of the year to pay the bill. So my question becomes, why should God have to wait? You honor God by putting him at the top of the agenda and at the top of the line. When you get paid, you honor and reverence God by taking it off the top and giving him the first fruits because it's a reflection of where your heart is when you give to God first. What's number one? Number two. Here's number three. Give your best. Give God your best. Give God your best. Give God your best, okay? A lot of times, we don't give God our best. Um, I'll be honest with you. I was done writing this. I wrote this, like, last week sometime. And I was done writing this, and I was looking back over it today, just trying to get refreshed with it. And the Lord told me to add this. He said, a lot of times, we don't give him our best because we don't believe that he has given us his best. We charge God with what we don't have that we think we should. And because God didn't bless me with whatever my Santa Claus list is for this week, then I don't give him my best because I don't believe that he gave me his best. And the sad part is that we equate what we have in the bank account, we equate what we drive, we equate where we live as God's best. Let me give you a newsflash. God's best is what happened on Calvary. That when Jesus Christ died in your place and in my place and saved us and redeemed us, that was God's best. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. That's God's best for us. So it doesn't matter how much is in your bank account. Doesn't matter what you drive. Doesn't matter where you work. Doesn't matter where you live. That ain't God's best. Because let me tell you something. God, you could be in the projects and still be living your best life. I know that's hard for some of y'all to believe, but I can take you to some people that are acting like they living their best life. Okay? Let me uh, go to second, uh, second Samuel 24. Second Samuel 24. I want you to go to Second Samuel 24 chapter, uh, verse number 21. Second Samuel 24, verse number 21. Keep your Bibles open. I want to give you background of this text before we actually start uh, 
going through it. 2 Samuel 24, verse number 21. 2 Samuel 24, verse number 21. Okay, so the background of this passage in 2 Samuel 24 is that King David had done something he wasn't supposed to do. Okay? He had, watch this, taken account of the soldiers he had and when he did that, it angered God because at some point he thought that if he had enough soldiers, he could win the battle. God got upset about that because God wants, wants us to know you never win a battle based on the number of people that's in your camp. Okay, Gideon should have showed you that because you had 30,000 and God said you got too many. Come on, down. 10,000, uh-uh, still too many got down to 300 he said now go fight the battle because it's not based upon how many people are around you and here's the revelation that I've said many times before because everybody you can count you can't count on yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you get in the heat of the battle there are some people that's going to run and flee they will not help you fight so the number does not matter and can I just go ahead and put it in plain sight uh, uh, the number of likes you get on social media don't really matter because everybody that like don't like you So don't try to have a popularity contest based upon how many likes you get on social media. Because there's people that like my stuff all the time. They can't stand my guts. God bless them. Hope it blessed you. Watch this. If you are depending on winning on the number of people in your camp, you've already got your faith in the wrong location. You win based on the power and the presence of God being on your side. So he had recognized, David comes to this place and recognized, okay, God is upset. I done missed the mark. I did. I, he, I wasn't supposed to count. I was supposed to trust God. So uh, 2 Samuel 24, verse number 21. Um, I'm sorry, go back to verse number 18. I don't know why I said 21. And Gad came that day to David and said to him, go up and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. So David, according to the word of, of Gad, verse number 19, went up as the Lord commanded. Now Aruna looked and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. And Aruna went out and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Verse number 21. Then Aruna said, why has the Lord, the king, come to his servant? And David said, to buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. Verse number 22. Now Aruna said to David, let the Lord, the king, take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look, here are the oxen for the burnt sacrifice and the uh, and threshing implements and the yokes of the oxen for wood. All these, O king, Aruna has given to the king. And Aruna <clears throat> said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. Verse number 24. Then the king said to Aruna, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. Verse number 25. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. 
Watch this. The key here is David understood the principle that when you're going to offer something to God, it must have value to you. Let me say that again. When you offer something to God, it must have value to you. If I give you $1,000 to put in an offering and you put it in, ain't no credit to you because it ain't cost you nothing. Well, I had to put it in. It ain't cost you nothing. You didn't pay for that $1,000. You didn't sacrifice for that $1,000. I sacrificed for that. You just happened to put it in. When you bring something to God, bring something that costs you something. When you, let me say that again. When you bring something to God, bring something that costs you something. That's why he says that I want you to give me a sacrifice of praise. Not a praise when you feel like it. Not a praise when everything is going wonderful. Not a praise when everything is happening the way you want it to happen. But a sacrifice of praise, an inconvenient praise. A praise when trouble is happening all around you and you still muster up enough to say, God, I still thank you even in the storm I'm in. Because some of us have just, just, just put our lives in a place where we just give God praise when everything is wonderful and everything is great and everything is going wonderful. But God is saying, I want you to give me a sac give me a praise that costs you something. That when tears are coming out your eyes, when you got a pain in your body and you still say, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from where coming my help, my help comes from the Lord that's what God is looking for he ain't looking for this little cheap stuff that we're trying to give him now I don't feel like it I don't feel like doing it God said it don't cost you nothing but give me something that's gonna cost you something see let me put it like this you ain't a real mother until you are standing uh, in the middle of a bunch of feces and they done put crayon all on your wall and uh, they done put powder everywhere and got into your makeup and you, you, you ain't a real mother until you have to, okay, let's really go here, until you have to put that mouth over one nostril. Y'all ain't, okay, y'all ain't, y'all ain't, and you are grossed out by bodily functions but it costs you something to be a mother. I ain't talking about, you know, go on over there to the NIM. Mm -mm. When you have to forsake the concert and sit at home. I ain't got no, okay. What is it costing you? Let's go, let's go Bible. What is your discipleship costing you? Because there's some of us that just want convenient spirituality. But when was the last time God interrupted your plans and your schedule and how you wanted to do it and you had to be still and know that he is God? What is it costing you? It don't cost you nothing. Convenient Christianity. That's what we want now. We want it on our terms. I'll never forget somebody, uh, uh, um, uh, somebody told me said, well, you know, Pastor, I ain't coming back till, 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 the, um, till you church open back up again. Excuse me? No, I am. I'm, I'm not. Mm -mm. I'll be back when, when you church come back. So, wait a minute. You mean to tell me 
that the only way that you're going to be fed the word of God and be faithful to the church that you belong to is that we got to make it so convenient for you that we got to take care of your bad kids. Look at your neighbor and say, too convenient, too convenient, too convenient, too convenient, too convenient. You know? You notice that we ain't been online in a long time? Hallelujah. <laughs> you notice there ain't been no Facebook Live in a long time? Look at your neighbor and say, too convenient, too convenient, too convenient. Because when you're trying to build something, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. Can't, we can't be on our flowery bed of ease and think that it's just going to be easy. David said, I'm going, to, I'm, going to, uh, 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 I'm going to buy the land and I'm going to buy everything from you because I want to give God something that means something to me. In other words, watch this, I got to feel it. It's not your best until you feel it. It's not your best until you feel it. It's not your best until you feel it. You, you're not really in love until you feel the heartbreak of what they've done and you still forgive them. Look at your neighbor and say, it ain't real till you feel it. Ooh, you got to feel this thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't start working in ministry until you feel it. You don't sing a song for his glory until you, until you feel the rehearsal when you're tired. You just missed what I just said. So let me rewind that one more time. You don't sing a song for the glory of God until you've had to feel the rehearsal when you were tired. Okay? You don't preach until you feel the late night of studying and fasting just to get one word. It's going to cost you something. Your best will cost you something. Question. Let's take it out of money and just put it in everyday life. Are you making the best of your life? Because if you are, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you friends. It's going to cost you sleep. It's going to cost you convenience. What's going to cost you? So, um, I'm, you know, I've been, um, the Lord is going to have to work on me. I, I have, um, I ain't worked out in about a month. Bless God. And, um, but when I did, it praise the Lord. Um, the, the, I don't know, I'm still deciding demon or, or not, I don't know. And the trainer, um, who shall remain nameless, um, always would push me, watch this, because I want you to see this. What I discovered was when I would bench press and I'm pressing and I'm doing all this stuff, I realized that it was mind over matter for a lot of it. I didn't realize that. I thought it was a physicality of it. I didn't realize it was mind over matter. And what it unveiled in that moment for me, I want you to hear this, is that when I was trying to go to the next level, I had something called anxiety that would kick in. And I would become so anxious of more weight being added that I would self-defeat myself before I even try it. And there's a lot of us in our lives, the reason why we can't get to that next place is because anxiety kicks in and we get defeated before we even try it. How you know that ain't gonna work out? Did you try? How you know that ain't gonna come together? Did you try? Or is your anxiety so high that you are, that you are defeating yourself before you even try it? Are you going in with the mindset, this ain't gonna work? Because how can you give your best if you already defeated before you even try it? Do y'all see that? 
Your best will cost you something. Here's number four. Number four. Give obediently. Give obediently. Give obediently. Go to 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter. 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter. So we dealt with David. Now let's deal with his predecessor, Saul, uh, Saul King Saul. Um, 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter. Um, we're going to jump around, so keep your Bible, Bible open. We're going to start at verse number 3. In 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter, God gives instructions to Saul, the king. He gives him clear instructions, very clear instructions. Watch this. Look at verse number three. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. Do y'all see that? Okay. Uh, look what he says. Kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, caram uh, camel and donkey. God says, go attack and destroy everything they got. Don't spare nothing. This is what I'm telling you to do. This is what the Lord telling him. Drop down to verse number nine. Drop down to verse number nine. First Samuel 15, verse number nine. But Saul and the, peop and the people spared Agag. And the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lamb, and all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. What does that mean? They killed what? They destroyed the worst, but they kept the, the best. What was the instructions from God? Destroy everything. I don't care if it's good or bad. Kill it all. Verse number 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel. Now Samuel's the prophet. Catch this, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. This messes me up. I need y'all to see this. I need y'all to see this. This messes me up. Saul and his people on the battlefield, kill, killing the worst but keeping the best. God gave him instruction, kill everything. And after he did not do what he was told to do, he steps back. And in the other part of town, God talking to the prophet. And God says, I regret the day I ever made him king. Here's a, this is going to be hard. I need y'all to just swallow this one because this one's going to be hard. How many opportunities God has given us that he had to take a step back and said, I regret even doing that for them? Just let that settle just for a minute. Okay? Watch this. Verse number 11. I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel. And he cried out to the Lord all night. And he cried out to the Lord all night. Verse number 12. So when Samuel rose early the next, the, the, in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Car Carmel and indeed he set up a monument for himself and he was gone and, and has gone on around, passed by and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went back to Saul and Saul said to him, 
Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Now, here's what I love, because this, this is what church people do. Notice how he over-spiritualized his life. Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the, the commandment of the Lord. Because that's what we do sometimes. We will over-spiritualize our disobedience. Well, I didn't feel that in my spirit, but you heard it. They had a spirit on them. What they had to do with your forgiveness? I didn't know I was going to come out swinging like this tonight. <laughs> Jesus, Lord. Watch this. Verse number 14. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? Ain't no silence of the lambs over here. I hear them. You're going to tell me that you did what the Lord said, but I can hear these sheep. <laughs> I shouldn't hear nothing because you're supposed to take care of everything. And the lowering, lowing of the oxen I hear. And Saul said, they have bought, brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. Watch this. Here we go. To sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Oh, but we kept it, but, but we're going to give it to the Lord. We're we going to give it to, we're going to sacrifice it before. Did the Lord ask for that? Watch this. I want you to see this. Saul blames the people. He blamed the people. Well, they, 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 you king. You, you blame the people, but you the king. Watch this. And then tries to make it better by saying they will sacrifice. Watch this. They're going to sacrifice disobedience to the Lord. How you going to sacrifice disobedience to the Lord? Here we go. Drop, uh, verse number 19. Drop down to verse number 19. Verse number 19. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoils and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Verse number 20. And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. You mean to tell me that God is going to get more joy off of the sacrifice you're making than the, than the obedience that you refuse to walk in? That's what he's saying to him. You mean, watch this, you're going to try to pacify God with your disobedience because you did not listen to and obey his voice. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams verse number 23 for rebellion 
is a sin of witchcraft. Let's stop right there. Do y'all see this? God is saying when you don't obey, you're walking in witchcraft. You ain't got no chicken's foot or no lizard's tail. But rebellion in the eyes of God is witchcraft. Mm -hmm. here's, the, here's the crazy part. This is going to mess you up. And Here's the crazy part. The sad part is you have no clue how much witchcraft is practiced in the pews. That spirit of manipulation, that's witchcraft. That rebellion and disobedience, witchcraft. When you've been given instruction and you do it your own way and you don't care what nobody got to say about it, that's witchcraft. Rebellion, the Bible says, is witchcraft. Mm. It's the crazy part. We all been a little witch every now and again. <laughs> Help us, Lord. It might be a witch on your road right now. They ain't got their head wrapped up, but they a witch. Mm -hmm. That's heavy. Watch this. For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. What a way to end. What a way to go out. Saul lost his kingship because he didn't obey what God told him to do. You ready for this? Let me go all the way back to giving now. Question. When was the last time you asked the Lord, what do you want me to give in this offering? Because mm -hmm. the church are professional $2 now. $2. Let me just give you $2. When was the last time you actually prayed and asked the Lord, what do you want me to give? If you asked him, do what he tells you to do and obey him. Not lean into your own understanding, but let God lead you and your giving. Now watch this. I'm going to blow your mind this time. I know you're gonna believe, you ain't going to believe I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say it. I am not a believer that every person should give in every offering. Let me say that again. I am not a believer that every person should give in every offering. In fact, I don't give in every offering. I want you to hear what I'm saying. I go to churches where I don't feel led to give. I just don't feel led to give. Most times, can I be honest with you? And Winchell can testify this. Most churches, when I go into, I always have $20 in my pocket. Because I'm going to get it $20. Because I'm going to support whatever's going on. Somebody invited me. He goes, $20. You got $20. You know, I'm going to give you $20. I always make sure I stop by the ATM. I'm going to get them $20. I'm going to give you $20. All right? Um, and sometimes I go to churches and they'll have the $100 line and the $50 line and then whosoever will let them come. And question, have you ever seen that in freedom? Because I believe that giving should be a prayerful approach that is between you and God. I don't bring prophets in here to lie to you saying if you write a thousand dollar check, the Lord going to do X, Y, and Z. Because when the prophet gone and got his money, I got to deal with you and your no rent money. So we don't play those games in freedom. Okay? So I'm not a believer that every person should give me every offering. Uh, but some of us never ask God anything and we give $2 in every offering. 
What if God wants you to have the kind of relationship that you start asking and he leads you to give $20 or stretch you to $100? Mm -hmm. That's what moves the heart of God. To obey is better than any sacrifice that you can give. That you hear his voice and you follow what his voice is saying. When was the last time God put somebody on your heart and say, just put a little money in their hand and walk away? That's the kind of church I grew up in. With them old mothers who was on Social Security. Ain't have much. They come shake your hand. Hey, baby, how you doing? All right. Don't tell your mama. Praise the Lord. But we don't have that kind of generation no more. Because it's all about us. We don't have a kind of generation anymore. You know what I'm saying? Um, 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 I want to make sure I'm saying this right. There was, there's a, there was a, um, somebody I was discipling, trying to disciple, trying to get them on the right page, trying to do the right thing. And um, they come to me, Pastor, I ain't, you know, I ain't got X, Y, and Z. And uh, they were going through a hard time, job issues, um, lack of employment. And my heart would leave greater than the situation, right? And so, because you're stuck and I want you to be in church, Okay, I'm going to cash app you, put some gas in your car, but I need you to be in church. What I noticed was when the money stopped, the attendance stopped as well. And that could lead you to be very jaded. Because it's like, you ain't got to worry about that happening again. And the Lord said to me, you could be stopping your own blessing. Because I made you to be a giver, but you can't be worried about the results of the giving. Do y'all see that? We need to get back to the kind of church that when we see people and we ask the Lord, Lord, how can I help? How can I bless? That we hear the voice of the Lord and we walk in it and we do something about it. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? That's how you show the love of Jesus Christ. Not just trying to hold on to everything. Okay? I'm saying that you ask God what he wants and be obedient givers. Find out what God wants and give and give and be obedient about it. Ask him. Take a moment and pray. God, what do you want me to do? And then do what God tells you to do. No matter how crazy it may seem, no matter how way out it may be, you need to hear God and obey his voice when it comes to giving. Now, let me be clear, because some of y'all are going to say, I'm, I'm praying about whether I should tithe. You ain't got to pray about that. I want to clear this up. I'm talking about giving. I ain't talking about your tithe. He has already commanded us about the tithe. Don't worry, Sunday I will be teaching on it and preaching on it. And if you don't show up, I'm going to send you, send you the message straight to your email. Praise the Lord. Because I'm going to talk about the seven top questions about tithing. I'm going to explain it as clear as day so that we all understand. I haven't talked about tithing, preached about tithing in a long time in this church. Mm, the giving shows it. And so I'm going to teach it. Praise the Lord. Watch this. I'm not talking about you pray and ask God whether you should tithe. He has already commanded us about the tithe. I'm talking about the offering. The tithe is already designated as holy and belonging to the Lord. You don't pray about your tithe. I'm going to be very clear about that. You ain't got to pray about your tithe. The word already talks about the tithe. That ain't something you got to feel the Holy Ghost on. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Okay? All right. Number five, and I'm done. Give willingly. Give willingly. Give willingly. Put a smile on your face. Be joyful about it. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. 
be excited that God has blessed you with the resources and the opportunity to give to his kingdom. You know, it's like when offering come around, it, it used to bother me, it still does sometimes, when offering comes around, we can have a high service. Holy Ghost can move. And I say, it's time to give. How is that same Holy Ghost that just had you crying at the altar all of a sudden just walk out just because I started talking about giving? We should be cheerful givers. We should be excited when we give, that we have an opportunity. But not only opportunity, the resources. See, watch this. Some of us complain that when the car breaks down, never realizing you got the money to take care of the car. It is amazing to me that sometimes God is providing for us and we can't even celebrate those moments where he's providing for us because it used to be a time the car would break down and, and she was going to have to sit there. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? But now that God has provided the resources, oh, I got this light bill. Who turned them lights on? Be grateful that God has provided the resources in order for you to pay for it. So when you pay a, pay a, pay a bill, you need to say, God, I thank you. Because there used to be a time I was robbing Peter to pay Paul. I was in between blessings. But now you have supplied all my needs according to his riches and glory. You need to change the way that you look at it. Go to Exodus, the 35th chapter. Exodus 35. Exodus 35. Last scripture for tonight. Exodus 35. And start at verse number four, Exodus 35, verse number four. Now, the thing that's powerful about Exodus 35, let me give you some background, is that they were collecting, Moses was collecting an offering to build a tabernacle, and the Bible says that it collected so much that Moses said, we got too much, stop giving. <laughs> let me say that one more time. That they were collecting in order to build a tabernacle for the Lord, and they had, they had got so much that Moses literally tells them, stop, that's enough, no more. We good, we got more than enough, stop giving. God, I pray for a church. <laughs> I pray for a church. I want you to hear me, I want you to hear me. It pains my heart, I need to go here just for a minute. It pains my heart when I see our Caucasian churches that are overflowing with resources and the black church still broke. It ain't that we ain't got no money. It is our mindset. It is amazing to me. I'm, I'll never forget, last year, um, I asked y'all to give towards the anniversary, and we were trying to meet the goal of $10,000 because we wanted to renovate all those, the youth classrooms. Y'all remember that? And we got it up in front of y'all, and we pulled out that, that, um, that thing, and we said, how much did we raise? It was 12000 some odd dollars. Y'all remember that? Okay. And we celebrated, and we were so glad. And we was like, oh my God, that was huge. That was the biggest giving we ever had for a special giving in, at a one-time deal. And we were celebrating. And that next Sunday, somebody say the next Sunday. That very next Sunday, our giving that Sunday was $2,000. Let me help you. $2,000 on a $6,000 Sunday. Okay, I think you just missed what I said. $2,000 on a $6,000 Sunday, which means we were how much short? $4,000 short. Y'all see that? Okay. What you think we had to do? We had to take from 12. And it grieved my spirit. Because I said, Lord, how can we ever get ahead 
if the people are so limited in what they give to the Lord. Because, I, you know, I even talked about it. I said, don't take from here to give over there. Didn't we start saying that like months in advance? So we, we were telling the people months in advance. Now, I'm not fussing. I need you to hear what I'm saying. I believe that God can bless the church, not just the Caucasian church, but the black church in such a way that we ain't got to stress out, we ain't got to strain, and we don't have to limit ministry just to have it. I want us to get to the place where we believe in this word and this vision that we're willing to sacrifice in order to make it happen. Okay, so watch this. Uh, Moses tells them to give, they give, and they give so much that Moses tells them, stop, that's enough, and we don't need, no, we, we don't need nothing else. Uh, Exodus 35, verse number 4. And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take from among you an offering to the Lord, and whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord, gold, silver, and bronze. Watch that. Whoever is of a willing heart. It means voluntarily and generously. You want to do it, and you're doing it from the heart from your emotions, from your will, from your intellect, from your heart. You, you want to do it, so you do it. Drop down to verse number 21 of that same text. Verse number 21. Then everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing, and they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of meeting for all its service and for the holy garments. Drop down to verse number 24. Everyone who offered an offering of silver or bronze brought it to the Lord's, to the Lord's offering brought it to the Lord's offering and everyone with whom was found acacia wood from any work of the service brought it. Here's the key. I need you to catch this. Here's the key. They brought it to the Lord. They brought the Lord's offering. Here we go. The problem with the church, the people of God, is that, watch this, we think we are giving it to the church and don't realize we're actually giving it to God. Okay, catch this. How do I know that? You know how I know that? I know that because if somebody make you mad, you stop giving. If you don't like what the pastor say, well, I ain't giving no more. Well, are you giving it to me or are you giving it to the Lord? Because if you're giving it to the Lord, it shouldn't matter. You hear what I'm saying? Watch this. Because we got to make sure we shift this mindset. I come from the old school church. An old school church, when they mad at the pastor, they don't give. They withhold a given because they looked at it as I'm giving it to the church. No, you give it through the church to God. If the pastor say something that you don't like, you don't hold back your offering because you wasn't giving it to the pastor anyway. Because here's the, here's the crazy part. Here's the revelation. You ain't hurting me. The only person you hurting is yourself because you are withholding your own blessing because you are mad and upset because you ain't like what somebody said. I ain't giving. Watch this. In freedom, we give willingly. We don't hold the service up and count the money. Y'all ain't from the old school church like I am. We don't hold up the service and count the money. I come, let me tell you something. In Miami, I come from, a, uh, um, I, I come from an old school background and I'll never forget my pastor, his father was also a pastor, a big pastor in, 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 in Miami during the 80s. And um, he, he was no, nobody bigger than Arthur Jackson, the Ju Arthur Jackson Jr. He was, the, he was the man in the city. 
And I remember we would go to services when he was still living. And my pastor, who was his son, would preach. And after he got finished preaching, they would do the offering. And I'll never forget Daddy Jackson, that's what we used to call him, Daddy Jackson would get up there and um, the deacon standing there at the little table and they counting the money. Okay. And Daddy Jackson would stand there at the pulpit and he'd be looking and wait on that little piece of paper. And they give him that piece of paper and he'd look and he'd say, all right, we need 300 more dollars. This is what Daddy Jackson would do, because y'all would be offended by this nowadays. This is how much has changed. And Daddy Jackson would say, all right, deacons, come on, I need $50 each. And you better have it. Because this is what he would say. In the microphone, because how you going to be a deacon of this church and you ain't got $50? Come on, ministers, you want to preach? Give $20. You got something to say? Say it with your money. Y'all ain't, y'all ain't raised old school like I was. They ain't, play, they ain't care nothing about your, your feelings. They said exactly how T.I. How is. And he would say it, and guess what? They got that money. But now we live in a new day, and a new dispensation. We don't count the money. Watch this. Every Sunday at the end of service or whenever we do it, we ask you to give. We don't count it. We don't sit up there and count it in front of you and say, all right, close the door. Us just close the door. Anybody ever been to church and they did that to you? Ushers, close the door. Nobody leave. Because, watch this, we believe that when you give, God will provide. That's what we believe. Now, we take an accountability for what is given, and we look at the average, and we build our, our budget around that. <laughs> Hallelujah. Chantel, let me tell you about this finance ministry. My, I love them because they works. You hear me? It's working. Let me get on my nerves because they say no to everything. They make me very, I have to be very creative because lack of funds will, will make you be creative. Y'all don't, don't like that. I said lack of funds will make you be creative. See, when you ain't got no money, you'll find a way to have a good date. But what if our church got to the place where the people gave so freely? You, you see that? I understand, and I want you to hear this. I want y'all to hear this. I understand in a year or two, we're not going to be able to be here. It's just not going to work anymore. We're going to have to move. We got stalled up for a little minute, but we, we headed forward now. And we're not in the place right now, because I, I need you to hear, hear vision. It's something I've, I've shared with very few people, so I need you to hear this. My plan for this church is to buy this building and move at the same time. Because we didn't invest all this money in here for nothing. We need to own this. And whatever we do with it, we're going to do with it. But we need to do both at the same time. But I can't, we can't do that with people who don't believe God and don't believe in this vision that will withhold and keep it back and say, mm, I, I, I'm not doing it. Because money ain't our issue, y'all. It is what we do with the money that's the issue. So on Sunday, I'm going to be talking about sowing, that when you, what happens when you sow. And I'm going to deal with tithing, and I'm going to teach, teach about tithing, the seven questions that people have about uh, uh, tithing and explain what tithing is. But I'm going to talk about sowing. 
But then on next Sunday, I'm going to move forward. Because then I'm going to talk about saving. Because people got, need to know how to save some money. Cash app should not be your insurance policy. I mean, uh, um, yeah, cash app should not be your insurance policy. GoFundMe should not be your insurance policy. See, I, I can't, I can't, um, let me put it like this. Um, when Angela came in and over the finances and we went through a season of no musicians, y'all remember that earlier this year? That was intentional because we were trying to get to a place financially where we was good, okay? We were good. And um, we put so many restrictions on our finances and slowed some things down. If you notice from years past, we used to have events like all the time and now there are very few in there. Listen, come to church, <laughs> come to church. And we, we were intentional on that because we were trying to go through a rebuilding process, especially in the area of our finances. Because if the church is not good stewards, how can we expect the people to be good stewards, right? And so we took the first couple of months and Angela just saved and saved and saved and saved. And one day she called me, we were talking, and I had no clue where we were at. And she said, Pastor, you know we got $30,000 saved. I said, excuse me? In the life of this church, we ain't never had that much saved up. I mean, I said save, just sitting there. I'm not talking about operating. I said save. That ain't lit. <laughs> just save. Now, again, the more money you got, the bigger your imagination becomes. <laughs> and, and, and the wrong person to talk to is Maisha who over events because her imagination bigger than mine. <laughs> But you have to have, and, and I'm saying this from a church standpoint, in our ministry, um, I have given Angela the permission to push back and say no, even to me, and she does. And so, uh, <laughs> and so but, but that's being a good steward, right? Because going through the summer months in church, people withhold their giving. They go on vacations, they stop giving to the church. And we gotta make sure we stay above water and we don't drown. Y'all feeling what I'm saying? What, what we need to get to in our own personal life is a certain place where you save a certain amount and you good. That they can say, at your job, kick rocks, and you're like, deuces, I'm good. See you later. Because that rent gonna get paid for the next six months, I'm good. But we're not there. And I know as your pastor, it is my job and my duty to make sure as a church we get there. That I show you what happens when you just eat up everything. Because, come on, like a stronghold that I have, that I know many of you have, it's called fast food. And we say we can't save nothing, but the reality is we're eating it up. So we're going we're gonna to confront those things and get to a place where we are financially secure in this ministry, in this church. I'm not pastoring broke people. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I got too, my vision is too big for me to have to fund it by broke people. I need to fund it by people who you sit right next to and you don't even know they got six figures in their bank account. I need to be able to stand up in front of a church and say, listen, I found this property, we need to flip it, and we need to turn it around, put somebody that is less fortunate in there, do something with it, you know, let's go. Church in Orlando right now, black church as a matter of fact, that has brought up all this property in, in, in Orlando and they are now opening up, um, um, they're gonna have rentals in a whole neighborhood. My God is no respecter of person. 
Right? Are you hear what I'm saying? So we can do the same thing here at this church, but we got to support the vision. We got to make it happen. Are y'all hearing me? All right. That's all I wanted to talk about tonight. I'm done. Uh, everybody standing. Praise the Lord. Next week, I'm going to go over the last four uh, principles, and then um, after that.